Welcome to the Long-Term Investing Podcast with Baskin Wealth. I'm Barry Schwartz, Chief Investment Officer at Baskin Wealth, and I'm joined today by Ernest Wong, Head of Research at Baskin Wealth. Quick disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The stocks we talk about today may be owned by myself and Ernest, as well as Baskin employees, as well as Baskin clients. Please do your own due diligence. If any Baskin client has any questions about any of the stocks we talk about today, please reach out to your portfolio manager to discuss. And with that, on to the show. Ernest, thank you for joining me today. Um, we are uh, tonight is the Maple Leafs may clinch the first round of the playoffs. I think is it 19 years since they've haven't gone past the first round, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, I mean that's um, a long time. Do you do you even watch hockey? Sometimes. Yeah, you're a big Raptors fan, and uh, they they got put out of their misery. Yes, they 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 certainly did. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a fun fun year for Toronto fans. The Blue Jays look pretty good. The Leafs hopefully uh, have a chance to make it past the first round. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens next. But if you're on the, if you like the bandwagon, the, the, the wagon is starting to roll. So get on it. So let's talk today quickly. Uh, we are now into the first quarter of earnings. Just review some of the companies that we may have talked about on the podcast, Ernest. Uh, and some companies that we're following and some interesting stories. Um, everybody expects, Ernest, that there's going to be an earnings recession, that earnings are have to go down. But from what I've seen recently from all the companies that they reported, most of them are beating earnings and giving pretty good guidance. So what's your take on Q1 earnings season so far? Well, I think what we're seeing is that most of the companies that we follow and own are generally really good companies. These are industry-leading companies that have very strong dominant market positions. Mm -hmm. These are not very cyclical businesses that have that that are going to fluctuate too wildly quarter in and quarter out. That's right. So we've talked a little bit about Netflix, for example, mm -hmm. how uh, in, in a year where its shares fell by 80%. That was in 2022. They actually still grew subscribers and revenues. Um, so it was actually, and we're seeing a continuation of that this year as the companies um, such as Microsoft, such as Netflix that we've talked about, they are continuing to grow uh, and, and execute their business plans. Yeah, Netflix was an interesting one because last year, as you said, the stock fell an enormous amount, 80%. Everybody thought because of we were all home with COVID that there was nothing to do but watch Netflix. And people stayed home and watched the Tiger King. Remember that chess series as well? And of course, I guess people now are allowed to leave the house, do other things. Maybe Netflix raised the prices too much. Um, the stock, I, no one really likes the stock anymore, of course. But this was one that we highlighted on one of our po earlier podcasts. We think the business is, there's a lot of certainty in its business just because the competition is losing money hand over fist. And Netflix continues to invest a lot in its business. And it's a global business, right? They, I heard they're going to grow the amount of money they want to spend in South Korea by like 50%. And that's something that Disney and Hulu and Comcast, they're not going to do. Yeah, I, with regards to Netflix, I think it's pretty safe to say that you can quibble about whether you like their shows more than HBO or Disney or or any other service, but 
I think it's safe to say in in five or ten years we're going to be watching more Netflix yeah. rather than less. That's I you said to me the other day of all the big tech companies like that's one that you would probably have the most certainty. Uh, we don't want to be bag holders on that kind of comment, but you have the most certainty of Netflix uh, versus some other big tech business models going forward, just because of the potential disruption of AI that's happening, as well as technology itself is always, you know, highly competitive and cutthroat business. Yeah, exactly. And 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 if we take a step back, Netflix's main advantage over everyone else is that they just have much more subscribers. Mm-hmm. So if they're making a show. They can spread out the costs over a much larger subscriber base than than even other very large players can. Yeah, and it's easy to see how profitable Netflix could potentially be, right? If they they have two hundred thirty million subscribers, no one expects them to grow that by leaps and bounds from here. But if you know they get two to five percent growth of new subscribers every year, uh, they're able to keep costs under control. And, uh, you know, slightly raise prices over time, maybe sell more services. Netflix is working on video games as well. Who knows what they're going to, what what prices they may charge for those extra services. But you could potentially see serious earnings growth from here for Netflix uh, with a lot more certainty than there's been in a long time. So I guess that's why we still love it. Yeah, I, I think the last thing I would say about Netflix is that it has been very encouraging to see how strong their ad-supported tier has mm-hmm. has become. They are seeing more interest in the ad-supported tier than than the basic tier, and and I think they've said they're making even more money. Yeah. So they sub- want on a per subscriber basis. So they want people. They would rather people not pay as much for Netflix, pay less, and get the advertising uh, tier, the advertising service. And because advertisers have a captive audience, they're going to pay a lot more money for Netflix subscribers than, you know, maybe putting on ads on, I don't know, Snapchat or Instagram. So Netflix seems to have a lot of uh, things going for it right now, and we're excited to continue to own it. Um, Yeah, so uh, like we said, earnings season has just begun, and hopefully we'll talk about some more companies over the long term. Um, one, let's talk about some sectors that aren't working. So big tech so far, so good. Uh, we still have Amazon and Apple to report earnings, but um, sectors that aren't working seem to be uh, transportation, Ernest. Uh, it seems that everybody, I guess everybody thought this would eventually happen is we all bought all the things we wanted to buy for our houses. The inventories of uh, stores are bloated um, no one needs to order anything in the short term. And so, you know, all the, the sh- all the problems at the ports and at the shipping lines, those have all been cleaned up. And so as a w- result, sh- the shipment of goods, of hard physical goods, is really slowing down from last year. So why don't you talk about what you're seeing in terms of uh, that sector? Yes, that's right. I think there's a multitude of things that are going on at the same time. First is that as you noted, inventories are, are are very elevated at retailers. And there there's two reasons for this. The first is that last year when the ports and the and the the shipping routes were very congested, mm-hmm. uh, all the retailers ordered way too much inventory. Correct. Because they didn't know if they were gonna get stuff on time. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is also uh, I, th- there is a little bit of impact from the inflation on the consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and 
also due to the the pull forward from COVID when everybody bought stuff that they probably didn't need to. Mm-hmm. So then you, you put those things together. Plus a slowing economy. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So you put those things together, uh, retailers having too much stuff and uh, consumers buying less stuff. And and there's just less need for, for trucking and shipment shipping overall. Yeah, and so uh, our clients own a stock and we did a podcast about it. Check it out, called TFI International. It's been an unbelievable long-term compounder. Company is in the trucking, logistics, package and courier business. And of course, if the shipments of goods is slowing, it's going to suffer as well. I mean, it is in a cyclical business. You talked about we own a lot of good companies that are not cyclical, but we also own companies that can be more tied to the economic cycle. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I I think this is just more of a a short-term phenomenon that Mm -hmm. like, it's anyone's guess as to how deep this recession will be, yes, or if, or even if there will be a recession, or just a, a slowdown, a bump in the road. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think, I, I think this will be something that's probably cleared up over the next year or so. Exactly, and it, you know, over time, GDP growth seems to grow two to three percent a year, and that means the amount of goods that are being shipped should grow at those rates. And if there are hard times in this trucking business. Some truckers are going to go out of business. Some are going to close down. Some are not going to start their businesses. And a company like TFI, which is a gigantic company, can uh, use its gigantic free cash flow. It's what the excess money it's generating to buy other companies and build out its business. So uh, good things do come out of hard times for well-run businesses. Yeah, and I'm personally a little skeptical about how bad it's actually going to be. Yes. There are still like a, a, a shortage of drivers, of truck drivers out there. And certainly we're not, like over the long run, as you mentioned, we're not going to ship less stuff. That's right. And 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 these things always ebb and flow, of course. Uh, there's uh, the seasonal, cyclical. So um, this is a perfect segue to talk about our feature stock because it's also in the transportation division. And it's a Canadian railroad, and it's CN Rail, Canadian National Railway, ticker CNR on Canada, CNI on the U.S. And Ernest, let's talk about why we own it, why we love it, and why we think there are great things that are going to happen for the Canadian railroads going forward. So go ahead. Yes. So our feature stock is CN Rail, which is the one that we own for clients. But I think the vast majority of what I say can apply to CP Rail as well. Canadian Pacific, now known as Canadian Pacific, Kansas City. Yes. Um, both of these are, are, are just simply fantastic businesses, um, which have, have, have been really good investments for shareholders. You could have bought them basically at any time in history yes. and, and made money and, and outperformed the TSX. Yeah. Everybody talks about how great the Canadian banks have been over the long term. But the railroads have put uh, put put a good run up front for your money for for uh, returns. I mean, uh, and certainly over the last few years, you you would have been much better off owning railroads than owning Canadian banks. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good things going for um, the Canadian railroads, CN and CP. The first thing is that nobody is ever going to build another railroad in Canada. I don't think so. They both CN and CP were built right after Confederation in the 1800s. And do you know the exact date? Do you remember the Confederation Day? It was, um, 
I know it was in 1867. Very good. You remember, you're closer to high school than I was. Go ahead. But they were built with heavy government support Mm -hmm. in a time when labor rights were very different. Yes, the world was a different place. Mm -hmm. And and in a period with very different um, land rights. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was in Alberta for vacation two years ago, Mm -hmm. and there was a segment of track um, where basically they had no idea how to traverse, uh, build a railroad through a valley. Yeah. And so they just basically laid track sped a train down to see what would happen. And then the first one crashed and then killed <laughs> like five people on board. Wow. And then they used that experience to to figure out how to build a, a, a more reliable and safe railroad. Those poor people. Yeah. And so that was the environment in which these railroads were built. Yeah. And certainly never, it's not something that's going to happen today. No, I mean, I mean, the two railroads, one, one, go, one goes more east-west, one goes more north-south. I mean, Canada is a vast place, rugged environment, as we know. The temperatures are are out of control, uh, especially in the winter. It's it's not a great um, environment. If you and I wanted to go start, uh, I don't know, the uh, B and E railroad, um, the only way we're doing that is through playing Monopoly. Right, and and you made a very important point, which is that Canada is is a really unique country in in several aspects, in that. It is a gigantic place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think four or 5,000 kilometers from, from east to west. Don't know. That Don't has know. A, I'll a, look it up later. We'll put it in the show notes if you're right or wrong. Has a really, and Canada has a very low population density. Yes. Anybody who lives here knows it's not easy to drive from Vancouver to Calgary to Winnipeg to Toronto. Yeah, you might be able to drive faster than driving from Toronto to Mississauga, because that's going to take you a long time given the traffic. But I, we hear what you're saying. We understand. Uh, we are all used to living in dense areas in Toronto and Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, but there's a lot of uh, open space. But the key is that because everything is so far away from each other, rail is really the only way you can move stuff around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This isn't true in the U.S. because... The U.S. is much more dense. There's a lot more cities. And the, the highways system is much more developed. That's not true in Canada. In I, Canada I, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair comment. Yep. In Canada, uh, if you want to move something between cities or from a port in Vancouver to, to Winnipeg, yep. you have to use rail. And so Warren Buffett, who is uh, one of our investing heroes, I think when he bought a U.S. railroad... Um, Burlington Northern, I think he famously said he was making a bet on the economy of the United States. Mm -hmm. I think that's even more true in Canada when you're buying the Canadian railroads. Um, And something that you're going to hear us talk a lot about going forward is that Canada truly is a a spectacular place to invest in for for a few reasons. Mm -hmm. The first is that um, Canada is very strong immigration growth. It, It has... It's the fastest among the G7, and people just want to live here because we have good health care, good education, we respect different cultures, and apart from the weather, it's just a pretty good quality of life. Absolutely, and we have a motivated government that wants to uh, increase immigration by at least 500,000 people a year over the next few years, and, and that is going to be meaningful. That sounds like a small number compared to the size of the United States, but when you're dealing with a country of, what are we, 40 million that 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 those are game changing type numbers, and all of these people when they buy stuff, it's going to come by rail, 
Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that Canada has a lot of natural resources. Um, we're one of the largest producers in the world for for oil and gas, for lumber, for grain, for fertilizer, coal, copper, uranium. Yep, you list, name it. List goes on. Yep. And again, all of this has to be shipped by rail. Yep. So, if you look at the numbers, uh, the Canadian railroads, relative to to the major railroads in the U- United States, mm-hmm. they have been growing volumes. Yeah. Whereas over the last decade, the the most of the major U.S. railroads are are flat or even declining in volumes. Isn't that a function of the fact that a lot of U.S. railroads move um, thermal coal or metallurgical coal, which is um, in decline in in the United States? Is that that's, that's one reason why? Mm-hmm. But I think the more important reason is that trucking has simply gained a lot more share of of, of inner city freight in the United States. Okay. In the in the U.S., eighty percent of all freight that goes between cities is is done by trucks. It's done by trucks, okay. Because it's it's faster, and I think more importantly, like you today with the technology, you you know exactly where your freight is. Yep. It's about the opposite in Canada. Really? Yeah. Where about seventy percent of all inner city freight goes by rail. Again, that's because of of. What we mm-hmm. already talked about, and it's not like the U.S. I mean, maybe they're slightly more advanced than Canada in some aspects, but it's not like it's a it's a different. We're, we're that two different uh, nations. It really has to do, I, th- I guess, with the function of the types of goods that we have to move, as well as the vastness of Canada, and you know, the fact of uh, just just different geographies. Right. So on a on a big picture scale, I I, I really like the Canadian. I think the Canadian railroads are much better position than the U.S. ones. Absolutely. You know, you set it up perfectly. So, Ernest, uh, a year ago or so, um, Canadian Pacific, CP Rail, and CN Rail uh, were both trying to acquire a railroad called Kansas City Southern. CN Rail uh, obviously didn't, it didn't work out for them, and CP just closed the deal, and now CP's name is CP Kansas City Southern. Uh, do you want to just talk for a quick minute on on that deal and what happened there? Right. So in North America, it is extremely hard to build or buy another major railway. Yes. And it's very likely that the CP's acquisition of Kansas City Southern will be the last um, merger or acquisition of another class one mm-hmm. major railway ever. Just because I, the, the, the U.S. regulators doesn't want... Uh, the, the rail railroads to merge. No, these are extremely and strategically important assets. They're uh, we're we're talking about security of uh, of the of a country, and so I'm even shocked that CP Rail was allowed to acquire Kansas City Southern. Right, and and because of this dynamic, it's obvious to see why uh, CP and CN would want to acquire mm-hmm. uh, Kansas City Southern because that's simply the only way that they're going to ever be able to grow. Into the into into the United States and Mexico. Yes, I think that there aren't really a lot of synergies in terms of being able to create uh, move freight from Canada down into the U.S. and Mexico. But what it, what this deal does for CP is that it provides them with some more diversification mm-hmm. in freight. And if you believe that nearshoring of of manufacturing is going to be a thing, mm-hmm. then is potentially going to be a fast-growing segment of freight going yeah. in the future. And nearshoring just means um, instead of making goods in Asia, uh, starting to make them more in the North America or Mexico, and uh, 
that could be beneficial, of course, for those that have to move the freight be, um, back and forth across uh, countries. Exactly. CN does actually have a, a, a railroad that stretches down into New Orleans already. Okay. So I think that was one of the reasons why the regulator preferred that CP mm-hmm. purchase it. So let's talk about, let's get into the weeds about CN Rail, why we like it when we started buying it. Um, it also has a little bit of controversy in the last couple of years, of course. Um, so, uh, Ernest, why don't you go ahead and uh, lay it out? So the original reason why we bought CN over CP originally was that they have a more diverse mix of freight. Mm-hmm. They're the larger railroad. They have a before the acquisition of Kansas City Southern, they had uh, they were moving goods east to west and north to south. CN Rail. CN Rail. Yes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that changes. CP also is able to do that now. CP now has the same, almost similar ability. Mm -hmm. But when we bought it, that was the rationale. Yep. And we just viewed CN as the the more diversified, more blue chip play. Yes. I think that both railroads are going to be spectacular investments going into the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I don't have really have too much preference for one over the other today. Yeah. So you talked about why the geographies, the structure of the railroads makes them so good. But let's why is the railroad business itself? What are the fundamental drivers of the railroad business? How do they make money? Um, you know, let's uh, let's let's tell our listeners a little bit about that. So we've already talked about the volume side, mm-hmm. um, which is driven by Canadian GDP growth. Um, from population and, and natural resources. Yeah, so if you think the demand for resources continues, our population is going to grow, yes. CN and CP should be moving more stuff. Yep, so that's the first element. Mm-hmm. The second element is pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been improving pricing. They have, they've been raising prices. Yeah. They, they generally t- try to raise prices by more than cost inflation every year. So... Um, they're going to be making more money every shipment. And this is kind of different than a, a trucker where I don't think truckers have as much pricing power as a railroad, give or take. No, truckers, trucking is largely a, a commodity business. Mm-hmm. There's no pricing power in trucking. Mm-hmm. But in railroads, especially in Canada, there's yeah. no alternative. There's no, you, you want to move your 8,000 tons of coal from, uh, from BC to uh, Halifax you're not going to get a bunch of trucks to do it. No, I, I think it's 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 just impossible to do it. Mm-hmm. And so um, they've raised prices by a lot over the years. Yeah. Obviously, they can't raise prices like unlimited. No. Um, and from time to time, the the government will step in and say you can't raise prices by more than X amount. Fair as, which which is actually true for grains. Yeah. So um, if we like volume growth, if we expect, I mean. Economies ebb and flow, so there'll be recessions and slowdowns. So volume growth won't always go up in a straight line, but over the long term, it should. Uh, if pricing power, pricing goes up by a few percentage points each year, all of a sudden you got a pretty good business. Right, and then the last element is is being very disciplined with costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Canadian railroads follow a principle called precision s- scheduled railroading. Precision Scheduled Railroading, PSR. Yes, PSR, <laughs> which has allowed them to to improve their cost structures and, and make more money. Yeah. Ernest bought a book for $400 written by Hunter Harrison. Uh, only, a, only a nerd like Ernest would read this book, but it explains what precision 
what PSR, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll keep it there. Explains how he implemented it, why it works. I haven't read the book. I'm talking for you. But of course, uh, Hunter Harrison, of course, the former uh, uh, president or CEO of CN Rail, CP Rail, CSX Rail. I think he's worked at them all. Um, he changed the railroading business uh, forever and made them really cost effective. And that's why their stocks are doing so well. Right. At the core, PSR is about, I think one analogy that I've heard that is, is really good is that he changed the railroading business from a taxi to a commercial airline. Yeah. In the old days, a, a train would sit at the terminal and wait for, wait for the customer to fill it up before moving along. Gotcha. What Hunter Harrison realized was that he should focus on moving the freight at a scheduled time, hence the term precision scheduled railroad. Yeah. And by providing a more reliable service, uh, he's able to both uh, save money, improve uh, utilization of the trains, and provide a better service, uh, which allows him to raise prices. Yeah. My wife operates on PSR too. <laughs> if I'm not ready to go, she's gone. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you don't have to pay $400 to read about Hunter Harrison. You can read a book called Railroader, written by Howard Green. It's an excellent book and explains about Hunter. He's passed away in the last few years, but uh, Hunter Harrison Hunt, has passed away. Hunt, Hunt, no, not Howard. Sorry, Howard is still here with us. Hunter Harrison has passed away a few years ago, and uh, but he's the feature of that book, Railroader, by Howard Green. Check it out. Yes. Um, so over the last year, certainly, uh, PSR has had a bit of a bad rap. Mm -hmm. It's been blamed for some of the accidents that have happened in the United States. Yeah, but. I think generally the, the concept is sound and comes down to the the quality of the, the executives and the culture that they've built at the railroads. Yeah. So any any final key points on CN Rail you want to make uh, or about as, as an investment thesis? Well, I think the, the entry is particularly attractive today. The stock price today. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, especially after uh, being unable to purchase Kansas City Southern. Yes. They received a large... Uh, Break fee mm -hmm. uh, for their for their troubles, and they have a new CEO Tracy Robinson who has done a spectacular job in the in the first year that she's joined the firm. Yeah, and today the the valuation is 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 pretty cheap at twenty times earnings. They don't have a lot of debt, mm -hmm. and. You know, like like you said, we may industrial production might fall in a recession, but it, over it the, will over mm -hmm. the long term. I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, it, short term, it's anybody's guess as to how the economy goes. Long term, I, we still think the drivers are there. The stock price has fallen back recently. It just reported earnings, which were better than the market expected. It raised its guidance. It has a great track record of ratings against dividends, generating an ample amount of free cash flow, although it's this is a heavy capital expenditure business. They always constantly have to uh, upgrade ports, facilities, buy new uh, uh, trains. You know, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, 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 a huge free cash flow business, but it's been growing that free cash flow per share every year. And, and we really like it. So uh, check out CN Rail and CP Rail if you're interested in working on the railroad all day. Ernest, anything you've been reading or watching that you want to share? Don't tell me it's you're still in the same old book. No, I'm, I I finished that one. Oh, good. Um, I'm I've been reading an a bit of an older book called Frackers. Hmm. It is it was written in 2013, and it is about the fracking revolution that happened in the United States. Okay, and it's a very 
it's a classic story about disruption uh, and, and technological innovation, which you don't really expect to see in 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 an old boring industry like oil. Oh yeah. Oh. Basically, the idea, the theme of the book is that there were a few people who believed that there was a lot of oil and gas that was in the United States that could be unlocked via new techniques called fracking. Mm -hmm. All the major oil companies like the Exxons, the Chevrons, the Shells, they all ignored this potential because they believed that there was no more oil in the US. No more oil, too costly to get out of the ground, forget about it, we'll go find it in other places. And there were some very, um, there were some very brave and very somewhat reckless people who stuck with their guns and, and made a lot of money. Yeah. And maybe ruin some water in the, in the meantime. Uh, I'm reading a, a n another book by Howard Green, who wrote Railroader. I'm reading an older book he wrote called uh, about TD Bank, called Banking on America. And I think it's pretty timely, given that TD Bank has been in the news. And David Baskin and I did a podcast about the banks. We talked a little bit about TD Bank, our last podcast. But uh, it really talks about how TD Bank was in a, you know, an originator in launching a discount brokerage line called TD Green Line and TD Waterhouse. And now uh, TD Ameritrade, which they sold to Schwab, which is in the news as well, but we can go on from there. And just really their plans to grow outside Canada. Maybe some of those people are now regretting those decisions in the short term because United States banking has been uh, very, uh, very... Uh, <laughs> Risky right now, a lot of a lot of things going on, but ultimately, uh, it's an interesting story on how TD uh, grew from being a Canadian-only bank, and uh, over the long term, the Canadian banks, especially TD, has done very, very well, but definitely in the news. So, uh, Ernest, thank you for your time today. Good to see you, and we'll hope the Maple Leafs can uh, clinch it, and if not, we'll tell you about it next podcast. So, thank you very much for joining us, and we hope to see you back here real soon. All the best. 